This episode of Probably Science is brought to you by Manscaped. For 20% off and free shipping, go to manscaped.com and enter the offer code PROBABLY. Probably Science. Hello and welcome to Probably Science. This is Andy I'm- Wood. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we almost we're gonna How get did that? <laughs> we're gonna get it one day from one <laughs> all right all right guys keep this in because uh, but but start over right that stays in <laughs> as people would expect this is probably science my name's andy wood i'm matt cashin and i'm jesse case we, we right. did it how did that happen i don't <laughs> that that was uh i think that was my adderall kicking in too early uh, oh okay <laughs> oh man yeah matt, <laughs> matt got his numbers confused um <laughs> It's like you, know? you traveled forward in time. It's yeah, like I just I just forgot that I wasn't you. I just yeah. uh, I just jumped. <laughs> Have you taken Adderall, Matt? Where what, what's going on over there? You oh yeah, to, yeah. Um, you, need, you need to focus. Up. I mean, what's... like le- legally prescribed. Sure. I'm I'm not just like snorting it. Uh, That's not how they prescribe it. Yeah, they don't. They yeah, they just uh, they just uh, yeah, do like a couple of bumps in the morning <laughs> and then uh, you know, just key some later on in the day right. if you feel like key you need bumps. a lift. Yeah, it's just like the Mr. Show uh, medical marijuana sketch where you have to listen to the doctor's demo before he writes you the <laughs> prescription. <laughs> yeah, Kenny Loggins heard it, so, you know. We uh, should we should bring in our guest. Let's do that. We should. Let's do it. Our guest. H- how do we... What, what, I've forgotten what the, the extra P word was we were going to use instead of P- comedians. Punster. Punster. Is a p- gonna be there a we go. To make it perfectly alliter- alliterative, we have um, punster. Poet, publisher, and former paratrooper Derek Brown. Hey, but Derek, hello, fellas. Hi, guys. The former uh, part of the paratrooper was spelled PH, right? Performer, yes. Yeah, okay. former, um, and, and also host of one of my favorite shows in the greater LA region. That's hopefully coming back soon on the Long Beach Gondolas. Yeah, the the only floating show I ever knew of where people would get drunk and then go swimming <laughs> <laughs> paratrooper you, port enthusiast punster uh, mm. and, and 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 punter mm-hmm. in the that is how you power a gondola oh uh, well doesn't punter mean something else in england it means a bunch of things but yes punter <laughs> punter can mean some a gambler or just any attender uh attendee at a thing like we will just- call the audience at a comedy club the punters just to get extra nerdy, punting in, uh, in a boat in England is a rod going into the soil, and the gondolas are rowed with a Venetian oar spinning in an S shape. So one, the Venetian style is way more harder. Ah. So you never push off the ground in Venice? Never, never, never. Okay. So hang on, how does it actually, how is that actually propelled? Well, it's a little confusing, but they made an, um, uh, uh, a boat where the left side bows out and the right side's a little more straight. And then with the twisting motion you do with the oar, it corrects it and it kind of shoves it left and then corrects it right with your forward part of your stroke. So it's a very unique sort of a drifting left and right, but feels like you're going straight. Oh, no, wow. is that is that why you have to wear like the striped shirt and the hat is to sort of stay, you know, to keep the horizontal, to keep your bearings? It's to give everyone a boner. Uh, they've yeah. shown that that pattern uh, boners <laughs> up uh, couples the most. Yeah. Right. And no, that absolutely. keeps you on the straighter line because that's like an extra, I guess it's like the fin on an airplane. 
Like yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, it is it is worth saying that you will if if you attend that show, you may be serenaded by Derek before the comedy starts. Yes, you might. Yeah. So what what it is is two large gondolas. Each holds about fifteen people, and then the performers perform on the bow with a little microphone and then flashlights shining in their face <laughs> while we float in the bay. And uh, it is bring your own booze. And uh, no one brings a little amount of booze. It's <laughs> it's, it's kind of like I don't know how you endured it, Matt. But like, did you were people kind to you when you were performing? People were very kind to me. Yeah, it was it was a really. I thought it was a really supportive atmosphere because you've sort of been boating with your audience for about an hour beforehand. So, yeah, there's kind of a genial. It's like, all right, I guess it's that guy's turn now to do to do his turn to do his performance. Yeah, it'd be very strange to get heckled and be like, you just told me about your dad. What are you doing? I'm right (laughs) in front of you. (laughs) I gave you a Corona. Like, what are you like? And now you're (laughs) shouting at me. So you don't you don't appear like so when you're introduced performing on the gondola you don't sort of emerge from the water like you've been on the gondola you have been uh, on the gondola but there you, has there have you don't been flop like- up over the side and like do a set and then leave the natalie natalie palomitas did <laughs> of course okay. she came she came out as a mermaid from the dock swam <laughs> out in like 62 degree water oh my god and then um had an audience member kiss her and then she stripped out of the mermaid outfit and did her set butt naked oh my god she commits so hard to everything i can't believe it incredible (laughs) yeah i was i wasn't there for that show but uh i do but holly was and she told me uh like one of the audience members it was a it was a slightly older woman handed her a towel uh like, like to, to cover herself up, to which she then grabbed it, went, a hat, and wrapped it around her head. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Mermaids are clowning. so, mermaids are so stupid. <laughs> Forks are, yeah. Yeah. There is, there is something about the clown community and, and clowning in general where they just, they can't help themselves but get naked. Yeah. Like, and, and, and then fuck each other. Yeah. If you, see, if you see clowns, you will see genitals at some point. It's just their way. That's, that's how they communicate. That's their love language. <laughs> Hmm. I mean, to be fair, a lot of people's love language is nudity, but yeah. Sure. Oh yeah, I have heard that. Is that so, true about clowns? Is it a is it a, a, a sexually progressive community? I, oh yeah, I've, the, the, I've never the, been in is. a clown community. Sexually you know. progressive, but also just like, uh, they just love getting their junk out because it's sure. it, it's I don't well, know. It's I have... about it's about lack of inhibitions and generally like you know right. committing to whatever the bit is and commit and being fully all in on anything and that freaking shit if i had like, you're gonna see someone's asshole yeah if i had <laughs> if i had feet that big i suppose i would whip out my junk <laughs> more often you know wouldn't uh, it be incredible if you if it came time to confess your love if you had to get naked it was part of the ritual and uh that's the only way you could <laughs> tell someone i i think i've fallen in love with you is to slowly strip off your clothes <laughs> I don't yeah. know if like, yeah, it, you got to make really, the stakes higher. Yeah, and you got to hope that it's going to be mutual. Oh yeah, otherwise it's a very. I mean, like it's well. Oh, uh, I, I, I also, never know how many of these are fake, but like there are YouTube compilations of rejected marriage proposals in public. Oof. Oh, I've seen them on gondolas. I've seen rejected marriage <laughs> proposals when I was rowing people. It's heartbreaking. It's so bad. Oh God. Do, do any of you watch or have you watched any of Love is Blind on Netflix? 
No. It's in the same vein as those 90 Day Fiance type shows where I, I don't know how they... Oh, then I'm, I'm all in. I'm yeah. All in. I don't know how they get so many people to propose after 10 days of talking and not seeing each other. That they, they, They're separated by walls, but they talk a lot. And then uh, obviously you can't legally compel someone to propose, but somehow both seasons, six couples come out of this 10 day thing having proposed to a person they haven't seen yet. Then they go off to Mexico together for two weeks. Then they're back home for two weeks. Then they get married if they decide to keep going. And at all points, you're like, what is the incentive that got people to do this insane thing? And I guess everybody knows if they're on it, they'll end up with a million followers on some social media platform, especially if they're an idiot. But still, some of these are legally binding right. weddings they go through with. And you're just like, how did anybody... And then also there are ones you know are doomed from the start, which is, I guess, how good reality TV works. You're like, wait, does this person know this but just want to keep being on TV? Or is this the most deluded... What yeah, what platform is that on? I gotta see it's, this. It's a Netflix original. It's total garbage. I just yeah, watched one yeah, episode. No, I, and I, I got it. hooked. I got hooked yeah. so hard. I'm, they, no, they, I mean, I'm huge on garbage shows like that. I love it. Yeah, it, they cast some great villains of you know just dumbasses. This guy Shane on the second season is just like he looks like Gary Busey, and I think he's on coke the whole time. <laughs> well, did you along those same lines? Did you see this is much more knowing? But did you see a uh, friend of the show Nikki Glaser's uh, Fuckboy Island? Yes, that was that was very fun because I was also like DMing her as I was watching it to get the behind the scenes scoop about it. Like I was like, so wait, this one guy who claims not to be a fuckboy when they have to reveal what they are, did nobody tell it? Is there no like legally binding thing where they have to admit what they are? And she's like, oh, no, no, he totally knew that's what he was cast as. He's just like trying not to look bad when he reveals. You know, There's, there's a point yeah. when you have to reveal whether you were secretly a quote unquote nice guy or a fuckboy. And uh, the guy but, was like, I am nice guy. And then they cut back to his audition footage, which is all like, yeah, yeah like love him and leave him or whatever. It's it, it's really fun because it, it, it's like it's just that extra level of knowing where they're like, uh, this is what all these shows fundamentally are. So we're just going to do that and then have a very funny person as a host who has full license to. Oh, she's great. She's just so great shit talk them and they have to take it because they're there being like the kind of like we're all the alphas. So then they have to just sit there while <laughs> Nikki Glazer and uh and her team of writers as well just lay into her it's the goal to good. get is the goal to get a, a date with nikki glazer by the way <laughs> uh the the goal is to get a date with one of these uh three women who are i don't know who yeah they're, they're cast to be like the kind of the the prize that they're trying to get that they're all trying to impress these women and then mm. one by one as they're they're revealed as either nice guys or fuck boys but Nikki through the whole thing basically just gets to uh, be a hilarious dick to them, and it's she's very, fun. very good at it. This, very, this very is funny. this is interesting. But my grandfather, this actually has a little bit to do with paratrooping. He was not a paratrooper, but he was a fuckboy. Um, no, he, oh. my my grandfather um, was on a ship in World War II that um, was in the European theater, and. Um, a U-boat took the ship down and they got marooned on a fuckboy island. <laughs> and it was oh horrible. I mean, it was it was like, you know, they all escaped safely, of course. But it was, yeah, it was just awful for them. Um, just surrounded by fuckboys trying to find resources. And- I think I, I, I think I might have heard about this. Because, like, I, I can't imagine that there were that many. This kind of happened that many times. But, like, is it? <laughs> Is it true that by... No, it's like a by, Dunkirk-level event. I mean, this has yeah. been taught by people, you yeah. know... Uh, by, like, tr- by, like, the third week they had to eat their hair gel, and... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They, they, you know, they were trying to figure out, like, 
you know, they still had their gas masks to cover up like the Axe body spray. Like, <laughs> I've you heard know, of this. And they could. It, yeah. Well, I'm sure if you, you know, you did paratrooping stuff like they would have taught you yeah. all of this sort of. But back then it was hosted by Dr. Moreau. So I bet you Nikki Glazer's a lot better. <laughs> yeah. No, she's a better. She's certainly a better host. Um, but no, I mean, it was a big deal. Like Truman gave a speech about it and everything. It was it was huge. Um, um but, uh, <laughs> by the way, I, I don't know. What else? I, no, I, I have. I no, just, I was just I, looking I, at that article you linked. Right. I mean, this is my only complaint about <laughs> Fuckboy Island. And I guess words change their meaning over time. But like, I think everyone who says Fuckboy doesn't know what the word means and how it originated. It doesn't mean like a guy who just wants to fuck. It's as everything, something appropriated from African-American vernacular. It actually means like bitch ass or scrub. It's a man who's lame, who sucks, who ain't shit. Uh, there's a, a Jezebel article linking about mm. how everybody appropriated it, then changed it completely to mean the guy who wants to fuck. I was like, no, it's just like super low status idiot. Um, oh, it says but, here it originated in December 2004, and it's a person who is a weak ass pussy. So, okay. so that's okay. Fair. But yeah, weak ass pussy is not the same as somebody who is just trying to have sex with lots of women. That's quite the opposite. Oh. Right. Uh, how do, as Killer Mike how said, do, you can identify fuck boys because they they are always doing fuck shit. Just the dumbest, weirdest, lamest possible shit ever. How do we make a stand against this pussy shaming that has been coming out right now? I feel like it's not fair. And maybe this is the podcast that kind of uh, puts an end to it. In, in terms of calling a man a pussy to mean weak or? Uh... No, like we're like where we, we, you know, there's slut shaming. So maybe we shouldn't have a pussy shaming for dudes anymore. Maybe it's like. Oh, yeah. Be pretty, a pussy. Pretty, yeah. Like pretty I'm... cool to be the biggest pussy possible. No, like I'm extremely cowardly <laughs> and I think that's very alpha, you know, to to uh, <laughs> to admit that I I um, I run the fastest away from conflict. Um, yeah. And yeah. you've probably been pussy shamed. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm constantly getting pussy shamed, but I, I know the best hiding spots. Um, <laughs> you know, I. <laughs> this is a survival instinct that's it's, important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's uh, you know, I come from survivors. This is like an ancestral thing that is built up in me. And yeah, I'm, I think, uh, no, yeah. I'm extremely pro uh, coward rights, you know? <laughs> yeah, you actually can, you can shed limbs and then regrow them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> just yeah commitments. leave behind a bit of your leg just twitching yeah yeah so getting anyone to speak at those rallies is pretty tough but uh maybe <laughs> yeah no, exactly out. there's a lot of stage fright but yeah. you know people they they, <laughs> they get through it uh yeah we most people just kind of zoom in but with the cameras off but <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah the cowards union is hard to it's hard to get it off the rails but it's um um Derek. But before yes. we get into the stories from the week in science news, we like to ask our guests, what, if anything, is your background in science? And that has ranged from having taken lots of classes at college to uh, a class that you liked or hated at school to blowing stuff up in the woods with your friends. Uh, well, the truthful answer is that I was a magician in Knott's Berry Farm and I fell in love with the various kinds of powders and uh, that would create different fire effects and so powders that would solidify water and make it seem as if the water had vanished i so, i didn't um, know that about you but i have i i have i know i have somewhere it probably still in a drawer in my parents house i have a jar of that exact powder that you're describing <laughs> that i bought after as a kid after a demo in i think this is in florida on a family vacation uh, the going to like a gel 
Yeah, going into like a joke slash magic shop, and then the demo, like he did exactly that, like poured water into the cup and then turned upside down, and nothing came out, and it was, he was like, "It's just this solid lump," and it blew yeah. my little mind. And it turns out, like with hindsight, that you like when I tried it at home, you actually need way more of that powder than you think you do, <laughs> yes. and it lasts about twice because if you don't use it much, then it just sort of makes it just sort of slightly more gelatinous water. When I was in the army, uh, they do random inspections for drugs. And they found the vial of white powder in my trunk. And they <laughs> called me into the captain's office and they were like gonna kick me out of the army. They're like, You've you've got you've got one minute to explain yourself. I was like, first of all, let me get a styrofoam cup and a pencil. <laughs> and I had to explain it to them that it wasn't cocaine. And then the, the master sergeant goes, I can confirm that this is probably a magic trick. We found juggling clubs in that trunk. And I was like, <laughs> well, I'm probably not the coolest soldier anymore. <laughs> so is that the prestige? I'm not sure which part's the prestige. Is that the juggling clubs? <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't know That's this about... I only recently found out about the paratrooper bit. I did. I did not know about the previous life as a magician slash juggler. A lot of scrambling in my life for sure. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> an obsession. An obsession with the chemicals that would work with the various magic tricks. So that's that's my basis. So did you also have? You must have also had like flash paper and lots of flash paper. Also a lot of sparking powder that would make green sparks. There's also I don't know if you guys know about cold sparks. Yeah, but um, yeah, those are what cool. no, I've I never don't. listen. I've never paratrooped, but I'm no stranger to the magic community. <laughs> um, so I, yeah, totally get it. It's great. I had my flash paper obsession, definitely, but I don't know what cold sparks are. What are those? Cold spark, actually, if you look up on YouTube, I mean, maybe someone can look it up, but there is this sort of, um, if you want to have an effect where you've produced a dove or something like that and then have a bunch of sparks shoot off into your face or hand, they have this sort of powder where the, the it's called cold sparks that goes inside of the launching tube and they won't burn you if you run your hand through the flying sparks. And I was like, whoa, what the fuck? And it's really cool looking. Awesome. Let me let me try and find it. Let me let me ask you this about paratrooping. Um, is it one of those things where uh, because I think we all experience this in different ways when we've had like a, a, a career or whatever. Is it one of those things where um, when people are like, I'm going skydiving, you're just like, fuck you. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like when people do things for fun, that was like a uh, perilous part of a job. You know what I'm saying? Like, would you ever like, go right. skydiving for a good time? I did like, do that. I did do that in Hawaii, and it was it was so fun compared to how not fun it is in the eighty second. So, like right. in the eighty second, you're usually jumping at like eight hundred feet, which and you might not a, even need your reserve shoot, and you got like a hundred and twenty pounds worth of gear on. Which you're like in a stick, right? Thing. You're in a stick. That's what's called. Uh, yeah, stick or a chalk. Yeah. Okay. What does that um, mean? A group of dudes who go out from the same side of the plane. So the planes will load with like, I don't know, 80 people, these C-141s, and then you'll you'll be, you know, uh, butt to nuts, and then you, <laughs> you're hooked up to the cable above you, and then you're trying to launch out the door so you don't hook your arm into the other person's line as their line rips their chute open. What happens is uh, some people's chutes are packed a little tighter or whatever. Some people fall longer, fall into each other's chutes. It's, oh. It can be a total mess, but um, yeah, it, that it, that's so much freakier. At In Hawaii, it was from 12,000 feet up. 
so it was so fun and so beautiful. And um, when I was coming down in, in at the at the pleasure jump uh, in Hawaii, I said, "Could I possibly scream bloody murder for the last thirty seconds?" Like I'm terrified. He goes, "Yeah, do what you want." Because there was like. <laughs> 50 people waiting to go up that I was like, don't fucking do it. It hurts so bad. <laughs> wow. So, but I mean, did you fun. revert to like 82nd? Like you're, you know, you're doing a pleasure jump, but you're up there like waiting for the light to turn green or whatever. Or are you like uh, waiting? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, um, or was it just, you're just like, okay, this is like fun. You know, well, you spill out of this little shitty Cessna with a dude strapped to your back. No, even no matter okay. how many jumps I had, I, I still hadn't gone through their training right. program. So I still had to have someone that was in charge. So I was kind of like baby Bjorn onto someone. So it was, it was a piece of cake. And well, because my loved it. My grandfather was not in the 80s. <laughs> I need to bring this up because not in the 82nd. Did he jump into Fuckboy Island? <laughs> no, no, no. Again, this is uh, he was not paratrooping, um, He, but he was Army, but he was in the bungee unit. Um, <laughs> where it was like paratrooping, but you would you would bungee down and then for like a three seconds at the lowest point, see if you could like shoot somebody or something. And then and then you'd zoom back up. It was a very short lived program. But he yeah, more pranking, like snatching hats he, off people's heads. You would stuff, snatch right? hats off the yeah. enemy artillery. He would never uh, bungee after that. He said he was too traumatized by the whole experience. So, yeah, what was cool is most, most paratroopers uh, went through an interview process. And if you were too scared to be a paratrooper, you'd go into this non-committal force where you could jump into battle real quick for a second and then it would bungee you back out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've heard about the bungee units and it's like frowned upon, too. Like that guy used to be a bunger, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, no, I've heard about that. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, by the way, guys, this is not a fun transition, but I just uh, I've thought a lot about it because it relates to something that Matt and I worked on. Did everyone hear the story about that drop ride in was it Ohio? The amusement park ride. Well, I oh, heard, the, the no. one that, the and one where they miscalculated and it. Well, I mean, Kill. the guy the guy was way over the weight maximum for this demon drop style ride. That's the one in in cedar point that i always think of with free fall rides but no one else heard about the person who slipped out of the demon the free fall amusement park ride no is this recent yeah i thought it was like a big story i guess i just got obsessed with it because it reminded me of that show we worked on matt where i was researching that water slide that had zero engineering that went into it it was all like eyeballing things and then of course it ended tragically when that kid's raft went airborne and he clipped the supposed guardrail that's supposed to save you was the thing that killed him um, yeah, so we, we, we this was the show that Annie and I worked on about six years ago called it, it I I consistently forget that every time we talk about this on the show I forget what the final name was of it. Because it was build, originally called How to Build a Rocket Ship and how it to was build like everything. The, everything. Okay. Yeah. I couldn't remember whether it was everything or anything. Um but uh Yeah, so it it was it was a really fun show to work on because for a brief period of time I had both Andy and I had deep amounts of knowledge about certain specific uh niche things like i knew a hell of a lot about how casino slot machines worked and also cow milking machines and mm. actual rockets because that was one of the episodes that i did and, and andy i knew too much about jetpacks versus rocket packs if it's hydrogen peroxide powered it's not a jetpack it's a rocket <laughs> pack and it also won't last very long jets jetpacks are run by actual jets and they're real now so and uh and one of yours was this water slide how oh, yeah, like the dumbest the absolute least interesting thing from a science standpoint. Like, yeah, potential energy becomes kinetic. But then this this slide, the steep or tallest, fastest, whatever it was, some superlative, 
it had the initial drop within a secondary hill, and they were trying to figure out how to make that hill the right height so that no one flies off of it, and a number of factors combined to have someone fly off of it tragically. Like, and and no, like everything about the safety was non-existent. Like you're strapped to the raft, but the raft isn't in any way strapped to the slide. So who cares right. that you're strapped to the raft? And then the net that's supposed to catch you is held in place by all these, you know, U-shaped metal bars that are perpendicular to your direction of mo- movement. So if you ever happen to be still traveling parallel to the track, but off the track, the net's not going to save you. You're going to get clipped by one of these metal bars, which is what happened. Anyway, but this demon drop ride, like it's it's an over, it's a shoulder harness thing that ratchets in place. And then you look at the seat, it's got a um, like carved out area for your groin. So it's not just a flat bench. So you, you have presumably this thing that's hunt, that's strapped to your shoulders in tightly. And the seat is such that you couldn't really like slip out because there's like a saddle horn. But I guess this guy was like 100 pounds over the weight limit. He was a 14-year-old. He was six foot five, 340 pounds. He was a linebacker. Um, and the guy, I, I don't know how it happened that the operator didn't say, no, you can't. This is not within the specs, which is what happened with that water slide also. Like this kid was too light to go on. But he's like, oh, no, I'll pair you with two heavier people in back. So then the front went airborne when it caught wind. Anyway, it just made me think of that because you're looking at the design of this thing. Like, oh, yeah, if that shoulder thing doesn't come down far enough – and you're big enough that that horn is sort of like in the middle of your butt instead of in your leg area. You could see how you could just slide right out underneath mm-hmm. it. Just like not necessarily bad engineering, but bad engineering combined with bad enforcement of what the engineering protocol, you know. What yeah. The well, well, two things, by the way, uh, just two things that came in, just uh, one's engineering related, one's related to something earlier. Um, mm. So firstly, I just received while we were uh, a second ago an email inviting me to a screening of Love is... Uh, uh, Love is Blind, uh, together with a panel discussion afterwards. Yes. It's it's Emmy season, everyone. And uh, wait, is this a thing you can bring guests to? I gotta see these people in person. Um, let me uh, Sunday, April twenty fourth. Ooh, I'll see if I can. Uh, it, so the panel's definitely the cast. They're gonna screen episode two hundred three, which that's a problem for me because I haven't seen two hundred one and two hundred two, and that could really right, screw yeah, me up. Yeah, yeah. Follow by a conversation with the executive producer and creator called Chris Colleen, and then participants are these names that uh, give me the names. Deep T. V- Deep T. Vimpati, Natalie Lee, Liana McNeely, and Jarrett Jones. Um. Yeah, okay. Easy? Those are those are like actual nice people. So there's not going to be much drama on that panel. If, uh, if you don't have your Shanas and your Shanes and you're uh and you're um oh my god who's the douchebag veterinarian slash dj um yeah it's supposed <laughs> to be like love is blind you don't see their appearance but then his the first question he asks everybody through the wall is so i like to dj at festivals could i fit you on my shoulders at a festival <laughs> it's like so you're asking how much they weigh <laughs> like it's the most superficial. <laughs> it's the best um so and then and, and then something related to both engineering and also wh- whether a paratrooper would be how quickly a paratrooper would be heard if you were doing the same joke on Mars. This story sent in by both oh. Paul Muxworthy and Justin Broad. We now know the speed of sound on Mars. This science alert story says thanks to the Perseverance rover. It's it's slight. It's different. Uh, scientists have confirmed the speed of sound on Mars using equipment on Perseverance to study the planet's atmosphere, which is very different to Earth's. What they discovered have strange consequences for communication between future Martians. 
The findings suggest that trying to talk in Mars's atmosphere might produce a weird effect, since high-pitched sounds seem to travel faster than bass notes. Is that uh, true in general, or just there? They're saying, I didn't know that. Be there, yeah. I, From, huh. Um, of course, Mars's atmosphere is unbreathable, but but sounds still travel. I don't. Um, I didn't see Matt Damon really convey that in the movie he did, so mm-hmm. I think he got it wrong. Well, he's a movie star, so you know they different roles apply to them. I know lower frequencies take more energy to produce the same distance, right? Right, and lower low frequencies also travel further on Earth, which is why you know if you're uh, if you're walking towards a stage at a music festival, you'll hear the bass sounds before you can hear right. anything else. Right. Hmm. But, oh, by the way, side note, um, I'm going to be back at Glastonbury, it looks like. So if any probably science oh listeners gosh. are going to be there, I will be, I need, to, I, I need to get my stage times confirmed. But I think f- Friday mid-afternoon I'm doing a set. And then uh, if you don't like Paul McCartney, I, <laughs> can I suggest an alternative to watch me in front of no people? I will Are you really directly to, opposite Paul McCartney? I, I'm up against Paul McCartney on Saturday Oof. night, so I'll be performing to <laughs> a a very small number of people who dislike both the Beatles and all of the other music that is on the other stages when Paul McCartney's on. Well, it's weird, because you, you've also um, been closing with Hey Jude lately, so uh, it's going yeah. <laughs> to really piss those people off. Yeah, and I, like dare I say it, I, I got some pipes. So, mm-hmm. are you um, at all bummed you're not going to see Paul McCartney in that case? <laughs> I, I, I'm not delighted. I will be able to. He's. I think he's doing like a two hour set, and my oh, and okay. I, I'm on for thirty minutes. So depending on exactly when I'm on, because uh, I have to be there a bit before my set, obviously. But uh, and also depends. Glastonbury is such a massive festival that it also depends on how muddy it is. Like if it's. If it's a wet year, then it can take 40 minutes to get between stages, like from one end of the festival to the other. If it's a dry year, you can, I can like run there in 15 minutes. So I, rain will have a direct effect on whether I see Paul McCartney. Uh, but either way, you can come and see me doing a very, very intimate show in a tent that can hold over 2,000 people. <laughs> oh. Can I tell you a fun Glastonbury story real quick? Yeah. Oh, have you been there as a in your juggling days or...? Yeah, no, I I, I, I performed there, and uh, when I got booked there, I was like, hell yeah, this is going to change my life. And then you get, you don't know there's like 600 little tents that you will perform in. Oh, it's Um, so massive. But, but the, the, the fun thing was in the daytime, I got to see Spinal Tap, and someone made a huge banner that said, Glastonbury welcomes Spaniel Tap. And I was like, (laughs) that's that's the best sign I've ever seen. My buddy, who was a performer, (laughs) Uh, that night, we're so excited to see Neil Young and Bruce Springsteen were back to back. And um, um, he had sprained his ankle. So I was like, fuck, we're not going to get to see it. Then someone said, oh, go to this bus. They'll give you a wheelchair. You can do, try and power through the mud. And it had a huge American flag attached to it, which all, all I guess to say, look out. Here comes a dude in a wheelchair. So I got there and every person was like, hey, let the wheelchair through until we were like four people back. And then this British woman was like, can I hold your flag? And I was like, "Uh, you're not going to drop in the mud, are you? And she's like, no, I just want to wave it around. And I was like, all right, go for it. She goes, it really is a lovely flag. While Bruce Springsteen was playing and tears are coming down my face. I was like, this is the best night of my life. (laughs) Uh, Firstly, that's amazing. And secondly, 
we were definitely there at the same time and probably staying in the same area. Were you staying in like theater, the theater and circus area with the where all the comedians, poets, jugglers, circus yes, people I, are? Yes, I was. And then, I stayed in, in a in, in a promoter from Brighton's little tent. We we were probably we before I knew you, before I got to know you out here, we almost certainly were hanging out at that festival in the mud then, because I was definitely well, there that year. But Matt, I remember you that that's back when you still did blackface. So he wouldn't have remembered like <laughs> oh, he wouldn't he have known. didn't look the same. Yeah. Yeah. Same. He wouldn't Yeah, that was me. Yeah. Remember? <laughs> oh, interesting. Well anyway, guys. So, uh, so, so if you if you <laughs> saw Bruce Springsteen and Neil Young on Mars, it might take a different it would amount sound, of time. It would sound different. And also, yeah, I guess like Neil Young's voice would travel faster than Springsteen's voice. Yes, he'd be he'd be rocking in an alien world, guys. Because let me tell you something. Uh, <laughs> Can I tell you guys a Mars story? I'm just <laughs> um, you know, my grandfather. Uh, no. Um, yeah. So, so it says this article says from a science perspective, the findings announced at the 53rd Lunar and Planetary Science Conference by planetary scientist Baptiste Child of the Los Alamos National Lab reveals. N- reveal na- high temperature fluctuations at the surface of Mars that warrant further investigation. The speed of sound is not a universal constant. It can change depending on the density and temperature of the medium through which it travels. The denser the medium, the faster it goes. That's why sound travels at around 343 meters per second in our atmosphere at 20 degrees C, but at 1480 meters per second in water and 5100 meters per second in steel. Mars's atmosphere is a lot more tenuous than Earth's. It's around 0.02 kilograms per meter cubed compared to 1.2 kilograms. Uh, so that's like, was it thousands of times? Uh, yeah, 0.020 versus 1.2. Yeah, so yeah, so yeah. about 500 times denser or less dense rather on Mars. Wait a That'll- second. Are we saying a cubic meter of air weighs 1.2 kilograms? Because usually, if it was a pressure thing, it would be it would be um, pounds per surface area, not for not not a volume measurement. So, is that actually what a cubic meter of air weighs? That seems like I cool. guess. I guess it is. Oh, okay. I mean, no, that's that's impossible. Okay, go ahead. I, I got to look think- this up later. <laughs> okay. uh, do you want do you want to get looking that up while I sure uh, sure while I while I continue <laughs> this? So that alone means that the sound would propagate differently on the red planet. But the mm. layer of the atmosphere just above the surface, now known as the planetary boundary layer, has added complications. During the day, the warming of the surface generates convective updrafts that generate strong turbulence. Conventional instruments for testing th- surface thermal gradients are highly accurate but can suffer from various interference effects. But Perseverance has something unique, microphones that can allow us to hear the sounds of Mars, and a laser that can trigger a perfectly timed noise. The SuperCam microphone was included to record acoustic pressure fluctuations from the rover's laser-induced breakdown spectroscopy instrument as it ablates rock and soil samples at the Martian surface. So this came with an excellent benefit. Chidney's team measured the time between the laser firing and the sound reaching the SuperCam microphone. Okay, so so this this laser is like shooting at rocks to kind of like smash it up so they can take samples. But that also means that you have an exact time for when... Uh, rock when that thing up. happens and then yeah. you can measure how long it takes for the noise of that thing to reach these microphones um, and at 2.1 meters altitude to measure the speed of sound at the surface. The speed of sound retrieved by this technique is computed over the entire acoustic propagation path which goes from the ground to the height of the microphone they wrote in their conference paper. So any given wavelength is convoluted by the variance of temperature and wind speed and direction. 
Um, the quirk of Mars, this is shifting soundscape, is something completely out of the blue with conditions on Mars leading to a quirk not seen anywhere else. Due to the unique properties of the carbon dioxide molecules at low pressure, Mars is the only terrestrial planet atmosphere in the solar system experiencing a change in the speed of sound right in the middle of the audible bandwidth. Uh, so the audible bandwidth, I guess that's what the human ear can hear, which is from 20 to 20,000 hertz. Mm. At frequencies above 240 hertz, the collision-activated vibrational modes of carbon dioxide molecules do not have enough time to relax or return to their original state. The result of this is that the sound travels more than 10 meters per second faster at high frequencies than it does at low ones. Hmm. So if this could enough to have like a noticeable weird effect on music if you were able to hear it. On the, yeah, it, yeah, it could lead to what the researchers call a unique listening experience on oh, Mars, okay. with higher pitched sounds arriving sooner to the listeners than lower ones. Oh wow! If you want a unique <clears throat> listening experience, all you have to do is travel what 150 days. Uh, yeah. So so it says. Given that any human is astronauts traveling to Mars anytime soon will need to be wearing pressurized spacesuits with comms equipment or living in pressurized habitat modules, so that's unlikely to pose an immediate problem, but could be a fun concept for science fiction writers to tinker with. Because the speed of sound changes due to temperature fluctuations, the team was also able to use the microphone to measure large and rapid temperature changes on the surface that other sensors have not been able to detect, which could help fill in some of the blanks on Mars's rapidly changing planetary boundary layer. That the team plans to continue using SuperCam microphone data to observe how things like daily seasonal, daily and seasonal variations might affect the speed of sound on Mars. They also plan to compare acoustic temperature readings to readings from other instruments to try to figure out the large fluctuations. Um, hey, uh, you know uh, another way you can change your boundary layer? How's that? Oh, what, what, how's that, man? <laughs> uh, with, with our sponsor. <laughs> what? What? Oh. what are you talking about? Okay, I'm, I'm following. I am listening. You know, let, let, let's, say, let's say your own personal boundary layer has, I don't know, I'm going to say more hair around it than you, you might choose to have. Well, sure, what are you going to, you just got to, you just got to pluck them out. That's how you do it, man. That's how Jesse. I've always. Rip, I guess you'd rip them. Yeah. Je oh, Jesse, Derek, no, you, you, you could do that. You could do that. That was that, yeah, that was one option. And you know it what? Hurts you could so bad, man. It yeah. does. And, and you know what? There were other options. There were. You could you could go and buy some low quality body grooming product that you know run, runs out of battery that you can't use uh, in the shower because it's not sufficiently waterproof that that nicks and cuts your skin. Uh, no, that, I that need doesn't give razor. you a smooth yeah. shave. Yeah, no, I need something more like a lawnmower. You know, like adjustable sort of a you know. But there's no product like that, Matt. So oh, let's move on. What, that's like the exact name lawnmower. of one of the product ranges from our sponsor, Manscaped, Jesse. What are you talking about? That's right. If you go to manscaped.com right now and use the code PROBABLY, you'll get 20% off your order and free shipping. And they have just launched their Ultra Premium Collection, which, believe it or not, is for your not-so-private parts. We're talking about a leveled-up hygiene routine with your favorite manly scent. It's an all-in-one skin and hair care kit for the everyday man and covers you from head to toe, literally. Manscaped mm. is trusted below the waist. Now trust them with the rest. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped, again, by going to manscaped.com. And using probably as your code for 20% off and free shipping, you'll get that Lawnmower 4.0 we talked about, which is good for a precise trim below the waist, has advanced skin safe technology to reduce cuts, um, but also Manscaped Premium Deodorant, which is actually for your regular old armpits. It smells great. Uh, there's also body that ball, there's the ball deodorant stuff, though, too, which is great. There is also that. They have everything you need to smell good and keep yourself groomed. Uh, the body washes we talked about, I love that. It smells so yeah, good. The body wash is incredible. 
Yeah. And I forgot the name for the ear and nose hair trimmer, but I use that whenever that gets out of control. And I've never nicked myself. I think it's basically impossible to do that with, with their. Yeah, that's a fan. Uh, that's a fantastic uh, product. And you also get um, uh, you get a good carry bag for the thing. You can take, mm-hmm. you know, you take it out with you. Um, no, it's absolutely fantastic. And and if you go to manscaped.com. You're going to get yourself, that's 20% off and free shipping with offer code, probably. We thank you. More importantly, your balls will thank you. But once again, for 20% off and free shipping, go to manscaped.com and use the offer code, probably. Uh, I actually own one of those things, and the coolest thing about it is it has a light on it, and I never knew how ugly my balls were <laughs> until I got that light going. That comes at no extra charge. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it is interesting with the little the little guide headlight. Um, yeah, it's just and a it's, single point light. I, I'm hoping they get a ring light later. You know, for <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Well, and, and I've al- and I've always, ring. you know, just with various sort of um, concealers and such, uh, contoured my balls. You know, sure, um, smooth smoky out. eye. To, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, sort of, sort of to, to make it look, you know, like it has sort of better cheekbones and such, <laughs> um, highlights and everything. But yeah, under under that light, whew, you can see everything. Brutal. Real quick, can I say something about Mars real quick? Oh, sure, yeah, of course. So, I don't know if anyone followed the Cassini drama where the satellite was that was going around Mars uh, was going to possibly crash into Enceladus, uh, this planet we found hundreds of years ago, but never knew much about. Uh, and they try, they did this very dramatic thing at NASA to try and detour it to crash into Mars because of crashing into Enceladus. We thought the impact would could change the whole ecosystem. Do you guys remember any of this? No, I don't. I don't know why this this would have been on our radar since it was in the time we've been doing the podcast. So I don't remember. Yeah, that. this is a couple of years ago. But what I what I always thought would be neat is like if we found a way to respond because we think there are global oceans uh, in Enceladus and there might be ecosystems down there, right? We've seen plumes come out of there. And uh, I don't think it's been debunked that these are um, lifeless oceans. But I I wish that we would jump some sort of satellite over there with microphone technology to put it on the planet and see if they're like noises of undersea creatures that are living under that ice or or if the ice is cracking and and we could somehow see different life forms existing under there which i guess would be aliens is this the is this the moon or was it europa that um we were talking to was it farah alibay who was working on a there is some probe going to some moon of this size and 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 sort of character matt does that ring a bell it it does ring a bell, but it's, uh... it's this is one of the. Oh, hold on a second, let me see what else it could be. If not this, it's about a tenth the diameter of Titan. I think it was this one. Yeah, basically, Derek. I think someone is. I think that there is something in the works to visit. I feel like that would be the biggest thing in the news of like, oh, oh shit, we found life and water. Like, I feel like that would be our number one priority over Mars, but maybe it's a little further. I'm not sure. Uh, maybe if I just Google that moon's Enceladus. name and, and probably science, I'll see if that was something that just rings a bell. I, yeah, I think you're not alone in, in this curiosity about... What's the deal with Enceladus' moon? I'm not entirely sure, and I'm not finding it as a specific thing that comes up related to our podcast. But yes, I think, I think uh, this is something that's 
being looked at. Put into. some mics on it. Put a microphone on it. Yeah, yeah. Put some mics in there. Let's listen to those aliens. You know, yeah, and finding cancel religion. Yeah, get it out of there. Uh, finding finding life um, on another planet would be huge. Sometimes we find signs of old life here on Earth. Do you guys know that? It's oh, crazy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sometimes we'll find things. Uh, you know, fossils, mummies, various signs of prior life. Um, so check this. Uh, check this crazy fucking shit out. A fossil of a dinosaur killed in an asteroid strike has been found. Um, yeah, this story was, was sent in. This person has told us their name in the past, but I, I now can't remember because the email address that comes through just says 1970s motoring. Uh, and and no no first or last name, but thank you, 1970s motoring. And sorry for blowing up your inbox. Yeah, sorry for sorry. Well, for we ha- we haven't that. we haven't given a domain or a, or a specific sort of punctuation true. or anything it like that. It could be but... GeoCities. You don't know. Yeah, yeah, you don't know the deal. Um, so scientists they have presented a stunningly preserved leg of a dinosaur, like something you'd buy at a Renaissance fair. Um, the, the limb, it's com- complete with skin, is just one of a series of remarkable finds emerging from the Tanis fossil site, uh, and that's in North Dakota, which is right here in the U.S. of A. Um, it's not just their exquisite condition that's turning heads. It's what these ancient specimens purport to represent. The claim is the Tanis creatures were killed and entombed in the actual day a giant asteroid struck Earth. Uh, that day, 66 million years ago, when the reign of dinosaurs ended and the rise of mammals began. Uh, uh, yeah, this BBC News story carries on like very few dinosaur remains have been found in the rocks that record even the final few thousand years before the impact. Uh, to have a specimen from the cataclysm itself would be extraordinary. And- yeah. Could this find kill the... Um- belief in a young earth theory for certain religious sects no not even not. What? No. they always find a way to change what they're like no 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 we meant this as soon as it no. so i mean like doomsday them. cults don't even f- yeah. stop when the date of the doomsday passes and the earth still exists so check this out this shit's crazy though the the site tanis right is 3,000 kilometers, so that'd be about uh, 1,800 miles um, uh, from the impact site of the big extinction fucking uh, asteroid. So that being said, the the way it got all the way up there is there was so much debris um, that debris just rained down from the sky. So that's why they found this leg like thousands of miles away. What? Uh, and the reason that they figured this out is because all the other stuff they found are uh, like things like fish and various um, debris that are only from that area. So we see a fossil turtle um, that was skewered by a wooden stake. The remains of small mammals in the burrows they made. Skin from a horned triceratops. Uh, the embryo of a flying pterosaur inside its egg, and what appeared to be a fragment from the asteroid impactor itself. Um, oh, it's, it's good. This is all going to be on a BBC News that David Attenborough is narrating uh, in a week's time, by the way. Oh, cool. Does this mean that there are chunks of fish with this thing that are like by Cuba found in North Dakota? Yes. Uh, the sturgeon and the paddlefish in this fossil are key. Um, they have small particles stuck in their gills, there are spherules of molten rock kicked out from the impact that then fell back across the planet. The fish would have breathed in the particles as they entered the river. 
Um, the spherules have been linked chemically and by radiometric dating to the Mexican impact location. And in two of the particles recovered from preserved tree resin, there are also tiny inclusions that imply an extraterrestrial origin. That's incredible. So, yeah. What a ride. What a ride for that. For leg. that poor fish. Yeah. 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 Uh, the, the show, by the way, is going to be called Dinosaurs the Final Day with David Attenborough. Or it's, it, it's, it's actually weird punctuation there. It's like, I, I'm sure there should be a comma or a dash. Like, it should be Dinosaurs the Final Day with David Attenborough. But actually, it reads as like dinosaurs. The final day with David Attenborough. That's the last time. <laughs> oh no! Nice. The last time. That is yeah. ominous. Yeah, <laughs> that is so ominous. Yeah, it's the last Hang day in they and they and David were hanging out before you know before the incident. Yeah, I mean he's old, man. He's old. Um, yeah, it's gonna be like a real like. It's just gonna be like a police interview of David Attenborough, just asking for his movements. And I'm I'm a huge fan like. of dinosaur extinction meteor concept art. Um, oh my god, I was just going there, Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're talking about the, the one lone dinosaur noticing in all of them? Yep, yep. Is that your... Yeah, I love it. Uh, there's, you know, anytime there's a dinosaur extinction story, there's some concept art of... And the meteor is always just shooting through the sky, and it's just a bunch of dinosaurs, like, da-da-da, just doing some grazing. And there's always, like, one kind of T-Rex looking up. And, uh, like, what the fuck is that? And I don't know... Who did the first one? I don't know who started that trend of that being the default, you know, dinosaur mm-hmm. extinction concept art motif. Um, but it's fascinating to me. The chicken little of, uh, of dinosaurs. Yeah. Well, actually, yeah. I thought you were going to talk about, I, I guess this one doesn't show that concept as well. This um, now, this is like a, the tsunami the, sort of. The situation. water surge picture. Yeah. And I was trying to find the artist name because we always love to look up the other art done by science story concept artists but i can't find a name to go look at their portfolio yeah this is uncritical i'm just doing a reverse image search i'm guessing this is a frame from the special that's why it's sort of blurry oh hang on are we talking about different uh which picture are you talking about uh the one where the smaller dinosaurs are next to a body of water that's got broiling now, are we to believe that the, all this stuff they found is shit that rained down from the sky, or is it local shit that became permeated with the shit that rained down? From- exactly. Like, was there a tsunami situation and somehow this leg popped off? Or did this leg travel from Mexico in the sky? That's a little, you know, know. weirder to know. believe. I hmm. By the way, am I on, am I on a different... Story than you? It's the BBC story that we're all looking at. No, we're on the same story. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I just didn't see that exact example of Jesse's, the trope of the one dinosaur who notices in time. Oh, no, no, no. I I think the reason I noticed it at all is because this is one of the few outliers. Okay. Okay. You know? Um, There is another big dinosaur story that was uh, sent in by listener Matt. All dinosaur stories are big. This Man. this one is this one is great and controversial. I love that you yes like, yeah okay. So potentially a, a group of researchers have proposed that T Rex be broken up into three different species. The, Without reading the article, my first thought was like, let me guess, somebody put the wrong front arms on. <laughs> that would be great <laughs> if this whole time it was just somebody stuck a different dinosaur's tiny front arms on and we're like yep that's what it does it wanders around with these two little (laughs) (laughs) i was hoping it's been broken up by the monopolies commission just like it's two 
it's too big to fail and that can't be allowed and it has to be broken up into smaller dinosaurs yeah dinosaur dodd frank or whatever so is that the the, right bill who knows there's no way to know a trio of researchers has proposed that the iconic dino geo and i uh hold on i'm reading this matt and this is just about mark bolan this is not a science (laughs) story this is (laughs) he'd be broken up at speed uh by a tree and um a a tree of uh, so the the standard t-rex the bulkier t imperator and the slimmer t regina or regina i'm not sure how you pronounce that uh that's g-rex yes (laughs) so the the team analyzed the leg bone proportions and teeth of 38 existing t-rex specimens and grouped them into three types based on these traits that several paleontologists interviewed by the New York Times pushed back at the proposed reclassifications, saying the paper's authors didn't present clear anatomical differences between the specimens. Others welcomed the debate but want a more robust analysis. I want a full conference where they're yelling at each other. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. In like sort of a big circular type kind of theater. Um, You'll take my T-Rex bones from my cold, dead paleontologist hands. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there had to be different species within that. I mean, this is over millions and millions of years. There had to be. Right. Well, I guess we, we were, we, we've talked on the show before about how the classification of what counts as a species is not as simple as what we were taught at school. Right. Like the, the version at school was basically if, if two animals can reproduce and make a fertile offspring, then they right. are the same species. And if they can't, then they aren't. And that's... It's, it's like little, most things in science, it's more complicated than that, and it's, right. it's more subtle than that. What is gained by s- splitting this up? More merch. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Merch. merch, yep. <laughs> hey, you saw the T-Rex exhibit, we're thoroughly bored, come again, <laughs> we'll rename all this <laughs> shit. Yeah. Yeah, it's like when a sports team brings out a new away strip, you know, you're just like, yep. everyone now has to go and get the three... Now your kids are buying three different models instead of the one. Yeah. Yeah. This conference is going to have some angry 10-year-olds. I know that much. It's going to be a lot of 10-year-olds <laughs> yeah. who have strong opinions. Uh, yeah. yeah. Hasbro's going to be like, we have to have three new T-Rexes. It's, uh, yeah, I, I, I wonder, because they do, they interview paleontologists in these articles, but they don't actually speak to any kids who are really into dinosaurs <laughs> to get their view. Really, uh, they are remiss and nuts. They're is, the I only mean, ones is, who give a shit. <laughs> is the is the childhood dinosaur phase like universal? Is that one of the the only universal things? I it's think a, it's it like the grief cycle. I mean, it's almost like every culture. I think you could be like, do you have a dinosaur phase? What if sex makes you grow out of your dinosaur phase? The the minute you lose your virginity, you're like, I don't care about brontosaurus anymore. I care about this other thing. I. I'm going to push back on that. I lost, my, <laughs> I lost my virginity very, very late in life and did already, already just didn't give a fuck about dinos anymore. You know, that could have gone the other way around. You could easily uh, that you, I would not have been equally surprised if you said like, no, I was way into dinosaurs way after sex. But what if you had a great masturbation session and you're like, man, that felt so good. I don't care about the triceratops. Well, no, no. I mean, that's different. I think I think when you start masturbating, you're immediately disinterested in dinosaurs. You know, you're like, but it occurs to you like the T Rex couldn't even do this with those arms. Fuck that. You know, I'm, I'm actually a, the opposite. I'm trial. really into dinosaurs 
until I'm done, and then I'm just don't want anything. To <laughs> and do then with you kind of lose interest in dinosaurs right away. Yeah, you you regret that you yeah. texted a dinosaur before you started. <laughs> like it's late. Yeah. I, <laughs> I I have real like dinosaur shame. <laughs> <It's>, yeah. <laughs> so what life event makes you stop caring about fire trucks? Then when does that happen, and why? The the year you you can pronounce the R in fire. Oh, well, it's not a twuck anymore. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. I think that's fair because a twuck sounds way cooler. Yeah. Yeah. I don't care about fire trucks. What? <laughs> now, last week I liked fire trucks. But... <laughs> fire truck is the coolest. It's the coolest. <laughs> um, I, I think that's a perfect point to end the, the main episode but we're going to do one extra story for our Patreon patrons yeah sign uh, up but- for Patreon everybody what do you do we got the we save all the good shit for over there Matt we all take our clothes off it's crazy a lot of clothes it's just because it's hot um, it is, the AC is just not cutting it in here Derek where can our listeners find all the different things that you're doing uh, brownpoetry.com or follow me on Instagram at Derek Brown Poetry Excellent. And then, because you, you have your own poetry, but you also have like a full publishing imprint as well, right? Yeah, that's rightbloody.com. It's a poetry press, but um, I'm mostly doing comedy shows now. So I post all those on the site too. Awesome. Uh, you can find out. us probablyscience.com. That's our uh, website where we post also the stories we cover and also our, our Patreon and PayPal donation links. Thank you very much, everyone who helps support the show through those. Probably Science uh, on Facebook, uh, at Probably Science on Twitter as well. Uh, and you can email us, probablyscience at gmail.com, with any questions, comments, clarifications, stories you would like us to cover, or just saying hi to us, or anything you fancy, really. Uh, you can find us individually on Twitter, at Andy T. Wood, at Jesse Case, and at Matt Kirshen. And I think that's all the different places. But Derek Brown, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for letting me talk about fire trucks. <laughs> and uh, listeners, we'll see you next time.